Section 138, a weekly Blue Jay podcast. I'm your host, Mark Colley. As always, I'm joined by Bryson and Jacob. How are you guys? Doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well. What about you, Jacob? I am doing great, and I'm excited to be recording again today. Yeah, we're glad to be back. And um, just a reminder to everyone listening, if you didn't tune in to last week's podcast, I'd recommend going back to that one since it's a great episode, an interview with former Blue Jay Chris Rowley. And... Before we get to any baseball stuff today, I think all three of us just want to take a moment to acknowledge everything that's happening in the world right now. Obviously, the protests in the U.S. expanding across the world, and um, the three of us just want to acknowledge the systemic racism in our society and and the steps that we have to take. And you know, just the names of remembering the names of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Eric Garner. The list goes on and on, but remembering those names and saying those names is the start of the conversation. So we wanted to do that before we got to any baseball stuff today. But the first thing baseball-wise that we wanted to talk about was Texas. And it's more than just Texas, but MLB has reportedly or is is going to let teams decide whether they allow fans in the stadium based on what their state or jurisdiction is allowing. And this goes back to Texas because Texas is allowing 50% capacity of stadiums. Um, and, and of course, there's two MLB teams there in the form of the Astros and the Rangers. So I guess starting things off, would you guys take a road trip down to Texas or Florida or Arizona, wherever a game might be and watch the blue Jays play. If you're allowed to get into these stadiums because of the specific jurisdictions allowing fans. Well, to start it off, um, I guess I would, but the only problem is the Jays wouldn't be playing them this year. I'm pretty sure, but I guess in a perfect world, if they were playing Texas or since they usually go down there twice a year to play the Astros and the Rangers, I absolutely, I absolutely would definitely consider it. Um, just depending on, you know, the circumstances and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be the one going, uh, even if I consider it to be going in the first month of the season, you know, this, this would something that would take months of me like waiting and analyzing, but uh, you know, in other words too, um, even if a border was open, just barring all of that in a perfect world, uh, it's, I think from where I located just a little bit North of Toronto, it's about a two day drive. So it's a, it's a pretty long drive. Um, I guess yeah, I would probably wouldn't want to drive for two days, so I probably would fly. But of course, that's all in a perfect world. And when it comes to Texas, it's it's interesting because we saw, uh, well, just compared to other states. So you know, in, let's just for example, California. It started off with you know no sports until 2021, until no sports uh, until the fall, and then now apparently sports in California are allowed to resume whenever their leagues that play in the state or come back. So um, in that case, I guess it would be baseball because uh, in hockey and basketball, they're going to be doing hub cities, but there's still uncertainty for a baseball season. But going back to Texas, it's funny because it started off, I would say probably around Monday that they said 25%. And then two days later, it's suddenly gone to 50% capacity. So it's hard to imagine it going up even more from 50% capacity. But I guess I, I said the same thing when they said 25%. So unless Texas knows something that we don't, uh, it'll be very interesting or it's just Texas being a relaxed state as well as another state like Florida we know that's also been relaxed with uh, measures. It's definitely interesting that there's going to be fans allowed. And regardless if you want to go or not, I guess citizens or people, residents living in Texas have that green light to go if they want to go. And I know it's more of a, or especially when NFL season starts, uh, you know, one of the biggest markets in football, the Dallas Cowboys, of course, uh, the Houston Texans as well. But, you know, before all of that, if there's a baseball season, which, you know, there's we still don't know, but it's looking like there will be. We just don't know how many games. Uh, I guess fans will have the first taste of going to an Astros or a Rangers game. And don't forget, too, the Rangers uh, have their own their brand new ballpark uh, down in Texas, which is a retractable roof. And it's, it's a beautiful stadium. But uh, so I guess that's that's maybe a factor that they want to show that off. But it's interesting how those 
states are the first to allow fans. And based off of more information that I've read on Twitter and articles across the internet, um, you know, it seems to be that if there's a baseball season, MLB will be allowing it. They won't have a strict rule or ban against it. It will, it will be up to the governments. And if that's the case, uh, I guess if it's for starting in Texas, I guess that's a step. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how many other states warm up to this idea or how many states join the club uh, of allowing fans in the stands. But very interesting how, I guess, as of now, there will only be two teams uh, for certain that will have fans this year if there's a season. See, I think first and foremost, the only thing that would prevent me, I think, from going would be safety. And if you can sit in a stadium or, you know, just interact with uh, the city you're in in a safe manner, then I think that's a would be a fun thing to do. Uh, actually, I've been to Texas before. Uh, it's actually it's ridiculously hot, but it's <laughs> it's a really nice area. Um, I, I kind of like that down south kind of atmosphere southern Texas has and I've seen parts of Houston I think it's actually a pretty nice city uh and a nice state overall I I wouldn't be against going just because it's a nice place and also recently right before all the borders and the restrictions went up I actually did drive to Florida and Florida's a, a little bit further but it's not actually that bad of a drive um we we took a lot of uh scenic routes I guess and I think it would be kind of like a nice adventure to go down to to Texas, watch a few games, go back. You know, I think it would be nice. Um, but like I said, the only thing that would kind of deter me from going is the safety factor. And, you know, if something, say, were to happen in the U.S., I'm being Canadian, I don't think I'd be covered for anything. I think a lot of insurance companies are not uh, including COVID in what they cover. So it's you know, if something were to happen, you'd be in a lot of trouble financially and uh, health-wise. So I think, you know, if if it's safe to do so, I think it'd actually be a nice place to go to. I would definitely like going back to Texas. I liked it. It was fun. Yeah. I mean, obviously the safety part of it is a huge consideration, but right now, like, I'm just ready to pack my bags. Like, I, I so much want to watch baseball that I would I would drive to Texas or wherever ends up having fans to see a game because I'm just itching to watch baseball. And of course that's obviously not a very responsible thing to say, but um, it's not very logical either. But Bryson, you mentioned the prospect of the Blue Jays not actually playing in Texas this year, because with the way the divisions are probably going to be realigned, it's going to be all of the Eastern teams, the 10 Eastern teams, the NL East and the AL East playing against each other. But we have heard that the Blue Jays are almost certainly going to be playing in Florida. So, and Florida is another state that is considering opening up uh, sporting events to fans. So that's a possibility. And I mean, Jacob, you just mentioned driving to Florida. So um, yeah, there is a possibility that in the future we will have games with fans in Florida, even if it's only, I guess, the occupancy of the uh, Dunedin Stadium is like 8,000, so it would only be like 4,000 fans at the Blue Jays spring training, but it would still be something. Um, and to go along with this, there's the expectation that revenue, whatever revenue is generated from fans coming to the games, will in part be passed on to the players as potentially part of MLB's agreement because we've heard a lot of things about revenue sharing you know cutting the pie 50 50 and so far the players union has been totally against that but if fans are able to come to games there's some expectation that the owners are going to propose a revenue sharing system uh, maybe in addition to a, a prorated salary who knows the, the exact situation but they're expected to make a proposal that includes giving some portion of um, the revenue from fans in the stadium. So that could be uh, another point, maybe a, a potentially pivoting point in these discussions that we're seeing with the Players Association and the owners, which are still ongoing. Um, I feel like there's it, it changes so much that there's no point in talking about it on this podcast because it's just, it's so dynamic and we don't really know anything and pretty much coming back week after week, we're 
talking about how we all like the players in this situation, not the owners. So I don't think there's really a point in talking about that, but um, this potentially could be good news if having some sort of revenue sharing system um, changes the dynamic in these talks. Absolutely, it does. And yeah, to touch on the brief part that you said about how we, we've talked about this so many times with these plans, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting really anxious. And I think that says it, the least of all of us, especially with these other leagues that are making plans and have plans to come back pretty much all across North America and even in Europe or Asia for soccer and baseball. Um, you know, it's it seems that the MLB is literally the only sport right now that has no progress. So, yeah, before I, I get even more upset about this, I'm just going to leave that alone. But when it comes to the revenue sharing plan, it actually brought up my next point, because uh, if this was to happen, you know, it, it would it would be logical. It would make sense for the Rangers or the Astros to share some sort of attendance revenue or the revenue they make up from no matter how many fans go to their games for the rest of the league and their players. And, you know, with or without this revenue sharing plan with the limited attendance in Texas, um, it's, you know, other than that, the other 20 or 28 teams across the state or sorry, across the country and in Toronto are pretty much wiped out from that idea right now. And all of the MLB as well as the owners and players will have to rely on TV deals. Uh, That's pretty much going to be the main source of revenue this year. And uh, after doing some research and looking at the numbers, uh, every game uh, played totals around $980,000 in TV revenue deal. So in a 162-game season, it totals to over $2.4 billion. Uh, in 82 games, it totals to $1.2 billion. I guess that would be the ideal number for all of us, just because, you know, you want to see as many games as possible. But 48 games seems to be um, the front runner right now. Uh, and that's the worst case scenario if there's no deal between the owners and players. And that would total over $705 million. Uh, So you can see how the numbers start to dip uh, with TV revenue. So that's pretty much what uh, the league would be making uh, right now. And then looking at the Astros and Rangers 2019 attendance revenues for both of them, uh, the Astros made over $166 million and they had $2.8 billion in total. Over $2.8 million, sorry, $2.8 million people that came to the games. And the Rangers in 2009. 19, uh, their attendance revenue was over 104 million and they had 2.1 million people come across games uh, throughout the year. So I guess um, you can't even, you, you might have to divide that number by three if there's going to be a 48 game season just because it's almost not even a third of 162 games. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's not an ideal number just because of the numbers they make on a usual basis when they play 82 games at home a year, but it's something. And if the, the owners and players can potentially pass that along, across the league, uh, I guess it definitely helps. It definitely helps with the idea of these these salary tensions between the league and the, the players because, again, most of these safety protocols have been agreed to, as well as formats, but the one thing that's holding them back is the salary negotiations. So uh, it's interesting, or it'll be interesting to see how much that plays into or you know, hopefully turns a tide in terms of progress with these two sides, but it's something, and if... Um, the Astros and Rangers start off like that with attendance. Who's to say um, a month or two in, um, another state welcomes fans back in the parks? And that's something that I think will be crucial this year because it looks like that's the way it's going to be with governments being the deciding factor on how attendance uh, will be handled. So I guess you can also consider that possibility and hopefully that helps. But unfortunately, we just don't know enough other than there's tension still. Yeah, I like you mentioned... Um sharing the revenue with the other teams and i think that's probably the best thing to do and if that you know if that doesn't happen i think there will be a lot of outrage because when you think about it the only reason why the state of texas is being considered is because um they have had restrictions with what they can hope or the amount of people they can host and all that kind of stuff so it's not fair kind of to say to a team like toronto who it's just not reasonable for them to play in their home city because of the uh, 14-day quarantine when you're coming out of country, um, that you cannot have any money or any um, revenue from people actually going to the games just because by default it doesn't make sense for you to host games. Um, But yeah, I think it's probably the best option, just share uh, the money because like I said, Texas just kind of by default is getting this. Uh, And then you also mentioned the players. So I think we all are on the player's side and 
in this negotiation where the owners are kind of being greedy, trying to take the most money for themselves while the players are just getting a percentage of their salary based on how many games they play. But when you think about it, without the players, the teams are nothing. Nobody's going to watch the Texas Rangers or any team if they don't have their players. So to say that, well, we only played 40 or 82 games or whatever the game total ends up being, you're only going to get a percentage of your salary based on that. But we as the owners are going to take in the money just because we own the team. I don't think that's fair. Um, yes, technically, as the owners of these franchises, they do carry the most risk. But as a player, I don't think it's fair to say, well, we're going to make you go and potentially put yourself in harm's way in close contact with a lot of people with a very potentially deadly virus going around. But you're only going to be paid a certain amount while us are just going to sit back and get the you just because we own the teams. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation over whether the revenue from the teams, whether it's the Astros or the Rangers, is shared, you know, across the league or just to their own players because obviously those two teams don't want to share the revenue that they make across the entire league, across 30 teams, but at the same time, all the 28 other owners are going to be wanting that money. So it's an interesting conversation. I think some teams, I mean, obviously the Blue Jays are going to be playing in Florida because of their the, the situation with the border and the 14-day quarantine. But I think other teams may look at alternate playing sites if it offers the possibility of getting gate revenue. So obviously a lot of teams with spring training homes in Florida, if Florida is a state that eventually lets you have fans in the stadium, maybe other teams look at moving to Florida because they have the possibility of getting gate revenue, which obviously is better for the owners. So it's an interesting conversation. And Bryson, you brought up the 48 game season, which I know I just said, I didn't want to talk about the the agreements and the debates between the players and the owners, but this is something new that we're hearing this week. And it's kind of crazy because previously we had been kind of entirely set on 82 games or around there for the season. But now we're hearing 50 games, 48 games. The players union actually proposed 110 game season, but that seems to be totally out the window. But right now the kind of expectation is that with a 48-game season, it's kind of a fallback. Like, the players would agree to this with prorated salaries. The owners would be happy because they're not paying as much for the players. Um, it seems like if all else fails, this is what we're going to be going with. And right now, it's looking like all else is failing. We're recording this on June 6th. This is kind of the last day or the last few days where any agreement is possible between the players and the owners to get to an 82-game season, to start spring training within the next week, to have the season starting June 4th to, or excuse me, July 4th, and then to have the postseason and the regular season wrapping up before October, postseason going into October. So it seems like that's what we're going to have. And I'm happy that you know, at the very least, this is a fallback, and it looks like we're going to be having baseball this season. Trevor Bauer tweeting that he's 90-95% confident that there will be baseball this season. But at the same time, I'm really disappointed that the players and owners couldn't work something else out. And in my opinion, the, the blame of this falls squarely on the owners. We've been talking about it the whole time, but um, from our perspective, it just looks like they're being really, really greedy in this situation. Yeah, again, it's it's flat out ridiculous that it's really taken this long. Um, a few months ago when this whole process started with the league shutting down, you know, the MLB had all of the time in the world. They were ahead of, in my opinion, they were ahead of all the other sports because of all the time they had. And in a matter of weeks, the NBA and the NHL have come out with dates of when they're returning. The NBA is locked in on July 31st. And all of a sudden, not only does this make... Um, those leagues look good. It all, it makes baseball look, it, it, it's a bad look for the game. Um, regardless of if there's a season or not with the financial losses, you know, the future of the sport is definitely in question with the, the, the fan loyalty, because as a fan myself, and I know we've all talked about this, it's, it's really, really frustrating. And, you know, who knows how long this goes, because uh, I've mentioned so many times before the CBA is up next year as well. And if that goes into 2021, it's, there are some serious, serious consequences that lie ahead for the sport. And we know that the 1994 strike, we know how long it took for 
uh, Major League Baseball to recover. It took a few years, and it's it's not ideal to, for this to happen because, unfortunately, with the past baseball strikes, there really is no end result where they come out after the strike saying, you know, this was beneficial for the sport because, unfortunately, it's not. And there just seems to always be tension between the MLBPA and the Players Union. And it's, unfortunately, that's the way it's been for all of these years. And we know that based off of this week, the new thing that we found out was based off of the March 26th agreement between the owners and players. Uh, Commissioner Manfred actually has the power to enforce a season based off of how many number of games he feels is necess- like uh, the best case scenario. And that seems to be the last ca- uh, the last resort to fall back on, like you mentioned, Mark. So uh, based off of the calendar, there's no other facts I've looked at other than the calendar because the calendar says it all. It's June 6th. I remember telling you guys a few days ago, I think June 10th is the absolute latest because if, if uh, sorry, if it's after June 10th, you can go three weeks of spring training and possibly start on July 4th. It doesn't mean you have to start a three-game series on the weekend. Let's say you can start on the Sunday. Um, but if if that's the case, if they're going to play a 48-game season, I don't think there seems to be a rush to start on July 4th anymore because of all the t- all of the time they can have to space things out if they want to play a 48-game season. So if it goes by June 10th now, I think there it doesn't change the fact that there will likely be a season. Uh, it just pretty much guarantees you that it's going to be a 50 game season. I think 48 is the exact number that we've been looking at. And you know, that, that a lot of people question the legitimacy that a season brings for 48 games, because that's not even a third of a baseball season. And after looking back um, a few days ago, when this first came, there's this first news came out, uh, I looked at the Washington nationals record for the first 50 games and of course, they're the defending World Series champions. So I don't know if any of you guys have a guess uh, of what the Washington Nationals' record was after 50 games last season. I think they were 19 and 31. Yes, it, it, correct. That's spot on. They were yeah. 19 and 31. So that just proves to you how unpredictable a season of 48 games will be. And in terms of stats, you know, I ERAs are probably going to be inflated. You're probably going to see a lot of 350 to 400 batting averages. Uh, it's it's going to be a completely, completely wild season in terms of stats, in terms of predictions, because it's going to be flat on impossible to properly predict what's going to happen. And for a team like the Jays, I think it also benefits them even more if you want to fall back on the Jays. Um, Jacob and I, I think we, in, we said how we think the playoff chances are greatly increased with 82 games. Mark, I don't know if you were as on board with us for that but maybe that changes for you now with the 48 game season with the young team with young arms all they need is a couple like a a month or two of a good start and they can possibly play 500 baseball the rest of the year and probably get in so this this creates a lot of uncertainty with a 48 game season a lot of unpredictability but you know the clock's ticking and believe me i'm not on favor for a 48 game season i hope 82 is where you can meet I don't even think 110 what the players want is something realistic. I hope they meet in the middle, but realistically, there's there's been no progress, unfortunately, between the two sides, and there's four days left. So I think all of us need to start preparing for the possibility, the strong possibility of a 48-game season. Yeah, it was interesting that you mentioned the Blue Jays because uh, I think it's true. A couple podcasts ago, I mentioned, I think it was back in 2018, after a month and a half of baseball and may 15th or whatever it was the blue jays were still over 500 and who knows maybe if something like that were to happen this year with such uh young players and kind of uncertainty around how well they're going to do maybe they could make the playoffs and i think that uh, baseball is baseball yes and having you know 48 games is better than nothing but i don't think that you can properly analyze yourself as a player or as somebody that's trying to make predictions or really anybody and say that this season was good or bad for you because you know if like you said a lot of higher batting averages higher uh, eras you know if you're a starter and you only have you know less than 10 starts or whatever it is then you know if three of your starts are really bad then your era is going to be extremely high and if you know if you're a, you're a hitter, a batter, and you have, you know, a week or two where you you just go over, you don't hit anything, then your batting average is going to be terrible or not as high as what it should be. So people are going to kind of 
beat themselves up over it and say, well, why did I have this low batting average? But then you say, but the season was cut short. And then I think for a lot of guys, maybe on expiring contracts, we've mentioned with uh, how the service time is going to work, but a lot of guys are going to kind of be rattled by this. And I just, I don't think that baseball is the type of sport where you can drastically cut the season. Uh, I, I don't think that, um, well, I think 82 games, first of all, is probably reasonable. Um, half of a season, you know, that's still half of it, or 81 rather is half, but you're still losing a large portion of the season. However, anything under that, I think you can't properly assess how well somebody is because baseball is such a weird sport. I think back in 2015, one year, the Blue Jays, right before they, or the day that they acquired Troy Tulowitzki, I think they lost 2-1 to one to the Phillies, who were the worst team in the league that year. Uh, and then the next day, they flat out destroyed them. So you have like these weird things in baseball where just sometimes a pitcher has it. You just you throw in a gem. Or sometimes a guy just, like we've seen with Josh Donaldson in the past, where he just he hits three home runs and it's just in one game. And it's just, there's so many random things that can happen in a baseball season to the point where if you completely change how many games they play to the point where like you said, it's not even a third, you kind of lose the legitimacy. Um, because also weather, you know, people say the ball doesn't carry in wet weather or whatever, whatever the case is, you know, if you have a lot of these games where things like that happen, then who knows how skewed the results would be. And I think that will unfortunately hurt a lot of, well, pretty much everybody in the sport that's trying to assess themselves and make them better. Yeah, this this season was already going to be in question in terms of legitimacy, in terms of stats, in terms of everything, really, when it was 82 games. And now we're talking about 50 games or 48 games, and everything is just wild. And you mentioned the, the stats for the Nationals after 50 games, or what happens when a pitcher just has a few bad starts. Like In my mind, like 82 games is probably the limit of how short a season you can go with things still being semi-legitimate. And when you shrink that down to whatever, 50 games that we're going to have this season probably, I think all legitimacy goes out the window. And I, I I don't think you can look at this season and say, oh yeah, the, I don't know, the, the, the Red Sox won the World Series because, you know, everyone thought they would be bad this year, but then they went on a tear in their 50 games and, you know, look, they're World Series champions. So no one's going to look back at this season if it's 48 games and say, oh yeah, that team deserved to win the World Series. Yeah, that team was the best team that year. Like, no one's going to say that because everything is is so wild this year, especially if you shorten this season to, to such an extent to have it just be 48 games. Absolutely it does. And the one thing you want to look at it too is even if Commissioner Manfred enforces this season and it likely would be around 40 50 games 50 games probably more ideal um the players technically have the power to object this uh just because if they don't believe that uh manfred you know scheduled the best number of games possible uh based off of the circumstances they technically could delay that and that's another thing to look forward to and even if this thing goes through and there's a 2020 season this 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 will likely go into 2021 because not only does not only are there high tensions between the players and the union right now, um, this this could go into the next CBA uh, negotiations because of this. I think it creates I think there's a win lose for this if this happens win because well there'll be a baseball season no matter if you consider it legitimate or not it's better than nothing because that's kind of where I've kind of put myself in the shoes now of but it this this could impact the future as well because. There's going to be a lot of tension. There already is. And if they force the players to play 50 games, even though we believe that the players are ready based off of a recent statement from the union, this isn't what they want. You know, you saw the proposal they had. They proposed over 110 games or 110 games exactly while it started off from the owners as 82 games. So that's the, that's, that's the problem with this. Um, of course, once again, I'd love to have a season, but this can go into 2021 with... Um, tensions but you know in terms of an asterisk between or beside the champion or the world series champion this year uh the only thing i can defend baseball for in terms of that is they're not going to be the only ones in terms of how legitimate it is 
based off of other leagues, for example, the NHL and NBA, uh, based off of their formats, they're expanding their playoffs. So you can only imagine the amount of question a team that wasn't supposed to make the playoffs in a regular format. You know, what if they all of a sudden go on a Cinderella run and maybe go all the way and win? So the only thing I can uh, understand or agree with on baseball is no matter what the sport is, I think there's going to be an asterisk beside any championship uh, trophy this year. And unfortunately, it's, you know, it's really nothing against the teams. It's just based off of the circumstances. But in terms of a baseball season, it'll be the amount of games we have, which will likely be 48 games. But um, it, it's 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 a tough one because we do believe that there will be a season based off of this week. But just because there's a season doesn't mean that all is well between the owners and union, uh, which is going to be the case going into the winter again, into the off season. Yeah, it's looking past this year, if they... I, I, you mentioned just playing 48 games, but I think there is also a real possibility that they don't play any games. And if you have so much, so much tension that's carrying over from not playing any games and you go into 2021 when you have to negotiate a new CBA, I'm scared that there's going to be a lockout in 2021 because just the tensions between the players and the owners. So things are not looking great for baseball and we had seen rising revenue over the past, you know, two decades since the the late 1990s and baseball kept breaking records despite declining attendance and I think unfortunately this year may be a turning point for baseball. I think we may see revenue start to decline, fans showing up to ball games even less especially because of the threat of a pandemic and a second surge or whatever you want to call it. I, I, I'm scared that the future of baseball is in question, and no one would have thought we would be saying this at the start of 2020, but things have changed so much, and I think there will be a lot of lasting frustration from fans if nothing gets played this season, if there's a lockout next year. Um, things aren't looking good for the future of the game. Yeah, either way, um, I think it's gotten to the point for you two as well. I can't speak for you two, obviously, but I've gotten to the point where I don't even want to see these updates okay because it's really it's frustrating I've said it three times already in the past 40 minutes of how frustrating it has been and you know worst case scenario worst case scenario 2020 there's no season 2021's cut short what how how do baseball or how does the league know or how are they convinced that fans will all of a sudden still have interest in the sport or interest in the team all the fans they could lose from this and if you want to talk financial numbers, which is what they're worried about now, you can only imagine the impact it'll have if you start to lose fans. And I've gotten to the point where I just want to see some sort of agreement uh, made. You know, I'm done reading articles on the latest, um, the little things, because it's flat out ridiculous. And I'm the other sports, again, have gotten ahead of them when, it, in my opinion, it should have been the case three months ago. It The, the fact that it's gotten to this point... It's, it's concerning and it's frustrating and I want to see a deal done now and I'm not I'm done reading little articles on little things because it's it's ridiculous okay um, it's the battle between the billionaires and the owners or sorry the billionaires and the millionaires uh, and I think some of the demands from the owners is flat out ridiculous based off of their last offer where you know players are already on prorated salaries which they agreed to and you're asking them to take an even bigger pay cut so in, in other words you're asking them to take a pay cut on top of a pay cut while they're the ones going out there risking their lives and, you know, the t- fans are there to see the players. So it, it's gotten to the point where I'm, I'm done. I, I want to see an agreement made or I don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, for baseball, it it is in a bit of a decline, meaning, you know, people aren't watching it as much. And as much as I do love watching baseball, I can't say that I do would or how do I mean? I can't say that watching hockey or basketball is less fun because the you know from an uh, action standpoint I think the ball the baseball that is is only in play for an average I think of 18 minutes per game now a lot because a lot of baseball is standing around waiting for the pitcher to pitch and then the guy hits foul ball and all that kind of stuff but you know in something like hockey or basketball where there's constant action even more so really with basketball, um, I think people kind of gravitate more towards those sports because they can be a little bit more entertaining at times to watch. Um, People still love baseball, but I think 
not having a season because the players and the owners, mainly the owners, are getting way too greedy in what they want, you know, to the point where the, you don't have a season, you kind of lose a lot of fans. And you you have people that were kind of already losing a bit of interest and then you just completely take it away. So they just move on. They're like, okay, whatever. Um, The NHL playoffs are on or basketball is playing at Disney World. You got some other stuff to do. And I think, unfortunately, people will kind of lose interest because there's nothing to be interested in because nobody's playing. Yeah, it is scary for the future of the game. Um, I guess we can turn now to the draft because the draft is coming up on Wednesday of this week. It's scheduled for the 10th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, And, I mean, we talked about the NFL draft a few weeks ago. I think we're all super excited for this one because it's the first live sporting event of some kind related to baseball that we'll be watching. And um, I think there, there is confusion. There's a lot of anticipation about this for the Blue Jays, of course. We talked previously they're picking fifth. It's their first time picking fifth since 1997 when they picked Vernon Wells. Um, So lots has changed since then, and it's an opportunity for them in, of course, the five rounds that they have to get something out of this draft and set up their future um, over the next few years. So right now there's kind of battling anticipations of what they're going to do with their first round pick. Um... Zach Veen is a name that has been bounced around uh, in relation to them. He's a hitter. He's an outfielder um, out of Florida, and um, he's just in high school. That name has been bounced around a lot. Another name connected to the Blue Jays is Max Mayer, a right-handed pitcher out of University of Minnesota, I believe. Um, I'm personally leaning towards Max Mayer a little bit more. The Blue Jays need pitching, and of course, it takes a few years for him to get to the majors, but um, pitching always comes at a premium. The Blue Jays have shown a tendency to take college guys more recently. So if anything, I'd leave towards Mayer, but honestly, I know nothing about amateur players. I know nothing really about the draft besides the Blue Jays and what they have in the minors and the majors. Um, But there's been a little bit of talk about the Blue Jays' approach to this draft as well because it's, you know, the first draft that they're drafting this high for such a long time. And Shane Farrell, the scouting director, the amateur draft director for the Blue Jays and son of former Blue Jay manager John Farrell, had an interview with Shai Davidi. He kind of talked about his approach um, to the draft and what he's uh, hoping to do this year. I don't know if you had a chance to read that, Bryson, but do you just kind of want to talk about what the Blue Jays' approach is for this year? Yeah, I didn't really read too much about it, but you know the the Jays' approach itself, um, it's going to be different based off of the past couple of years. And Mark, I was actually for the first time ever, uh, just because of all the time I have, I actually did thorough research on these draft previews, and you know, uh, I guess you want to call it a draft board for the Jays. And after looking, I I did pick five players who I think the Jays could draft, and yes, Zach Veen. And Max Mayer were on my list. Um, three was Zach Veen and five was Max Mayer. I had somebody in between uh, your ideas, but I'll start with one. Uh, so one was Spencer Tarkelson. Uh, hopefully I pronounced that right. He's a first baseman out of Arizona State. He would be likely at the top of Shane Farrell's draft board, but uh, in a perfect scenario for the Jays, he'd have to fall significantly. So that's not looking like it's going to be likely. Uh, I think... It's, it looks good that he'll go to Baltimore. Uh, number two I have is Asa Lacey. He's a lefty out of Texas A&M. Um, he ha- also has to drop a few spots if the Jays have any chance of taking him. Uh, he's likely projected to go to the Miami Marlins, and if he tends to drop a spot, uh, then he'll follow Casey, who's just above the Jays um, in the draft. And then, of course, there's Zach uh, Veen, who you said, who is probably the most realistic option for the Jays to pick. Um, I guess Casey's also, a, uh, the Royals are definitely likely to take him as well. So it all depends on who they choose. So the fourth person I have, uh, who Mark, you didn't mention was Austin Martin. So he's a utility player out of Vanderbilt. Um, there's actually based off of scouting reports, he's actually very close in terms of, um, you know, scouting reports to Zach Veen, but Zach Veen's got the edge, just a little bit of the edge 
based off of, I guess, records and, again, scouting reports. So he's somebody that would the Jays would definitely not even hesitate to pick if Zach Veen goes to Kansas City. So I think Zach, I think Austin Martin would be the Jays' plan B. Zach Veen, definitely plan A in my opinion. And, of course, fifth would be Max Mayer, who, like you said, he's a righty out of, out of Minnesota. Um, that's uncertain just because of, I guess, the, the other spots ahead of the Jays. But if Martin and Veen tend to go to a different team before the Jays, I guess Max Mayer would be the guy to fall back on. So those are five players that I've looked at based off of scouting reports. And I can't believe I actually did this thorough research on it. I've never done it before. But, you know, I, I, I enjoy drafts no matter what sport it is. Baseball is obviously a little bit different uh, because we don't know who these players are. And once we hear these names, you won't see them for about five years down the road. So in terms of the Jays' approach, um, like you said, Mark, they're, they're heavily on pitching. So we know that. Um, that's why I guess I guess that's why you had uh, Max Mayer as one of your top candidates, just because of course he is a pitcher, and Zach Veen would probably be the most realistic option for them. But who knows where he picks? Maybe he jumps higher than projected. But it's going to be a different approach for all thirty teams, like we we mentioned last week, or sorry, two weeks ago, um, with the draft just being significantly cut. Other other minor leagues have already been released, hundreds, if not. Uh, sorry, hundreds have been already. So the Jays have to be smart with this. Uh, a little bit of a gamble. No, obviously, you can't deny that just because there hasn't been a season and scouting scouts are probably not even allowed near ballparks right now, even if there's some sort of workout going on. So this is something that they're they're going in semi-blind. I'll say semi-blind. But hey, Ross Atkins said that they're confident that they can pull it, pull it off based off of extensive research and thorough planning. So, you know, Ross Atkins... And Mark Shapiro have always held, uh, relied heavily on their drafting. Again, something I mentioned a few weeks ago, and Shane Farrell uh, is somebody they're high on. So hopefully he can help them with this process. But I will definitely be tuning in uh, to this draft in the next couple weeks. Yeah, and um, just Shane Farrell talked about betting on the, the rule and not the exception. So we've seen a lot of teams, you know, there, there's a lot of pick. Like Mike Trout was taken, I think it was like 27th overall. Um, but... That that's the exception in this case. Normally, you know, the guys that we see such early on with these tools, like they're the rule. We expect these guys to be successful in the majors. So Shane Farrell's just talked about being uh, confident in betting on the rule and being confident in what your scouts are seeing and what the numbers are showing, rather than trying to get a dark horse, a, a kind of exception um, to the rule. Uh, but like you said, uh, I personally, my best bet would be Max Mayer. I haven't done the research that you've done, but He's a righty, he's a pitcher, Blue Jays like pitchers, and he's a university guy, and the Blue Jays have been taking a lot of guys out of university, at least since Shapiro and Atkins came around. Um, the exception to that is last year, though. They took Jordan Groshans, they took Adam Klofenstein, um, both, I think they were both in the first round, Klofenstein with a supplemental pick later in the first round, and they're both actually out of the same high school, so that they... They can break the rule, and Jordan Groshans, of course, everyone is really high on him. They like what they're seeing from him. So, I mean, who knows? And I think baseball has a lot of luck in it, but as much as anything, the draft is the the, the biggest crapshoot of all in this sport because, really, you're betting on performance five, ten years down the road that you have no idea what it's going to look like. You have no idea what these players are going to look like. So it's kind of impossible to predict everything, but um, yeah, that's, uh, that, that, that's what I think is going to happen. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Jacob. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you kind of with every sport, I don't pay too much attention, attention to drafting uh, and scouting and all that kind of stuff. But I, I do like the thought of drafting a pitcher for the Blue Jays. You know, like we've mentioned with the draft being severely cut, um, you only have a few chances to bet on a guy like you, you mentioned, Mark. Uh, I think you guys mentioned Max Mayer a lot. He, you know, you're going to need pitchers as time goes on. And kind of what we saw back in 2015 when the Blue Jays tried to acquire so many pitchers, they kind of depleted their farm system. So I think, you know, uh, uh, drafting guys and trying to organically grow guys is a good idea because, say, a guy like him does take, you know, four or five years or whatever it is to develop, I think it's fair to say that the Blue Jays will be pretty competitive by that time. So, you know, what if 
they want to call him up or do, do something like that. I know this is, you know, far down the line, but I think pitching and starting to develop pitching, especially in a time like this where, you know, you're not really playing or doing much is probably the, the safest bet for them. Uh, next year and years prior, I think, you know, it's very different because they have so many more uh, rounds to pick from or rounds to pick in. But yeah, I think right now, if you only had a few chances, my best bet would go towards pitching. Yeah. W- when it comes to pitching, uh, we know this pitching is the probably the hardest in terms of developing homegrown. These World Series teams that have won the past couple of years, you know, these are teams that acquire them at the deadline. And I hate to revert back to the Astros, but I have to because <laughs> the year they won or even the a uh, couple of years after, we've seen the acquisitions they've made for uh, their pitching rotation in terms of, you know, Justin Verlander, uh, Zach Granke. Uh, we, like we know, and these pitchers that these aces that teams get, a lot of them aren't homegrown. There is a few, but I'm, most of them aren't. And another example would be Garrett Cole going to the Yankees. You know, the Yankees starting rotation has been inconsistent for the past couple of years. And they're the best team in the American League, arguably, uh, or even, of course, the AL East, uh, hands down. Uh, but the one thing they've been lacking is pitching. And Mark, to revert back to what you said, it's this is incredibly difficult uh, for these teams to do this. You're going from 40 rounds, probably because of the uncertainty and how hard it is to develop these players and choose uh, the players that will work out in the end. Uh, you're living that, limiting that to five rounds. And at the same time, you're getting rid of a handful of players in your minor league system based off of the, the downfall of this. But, you know, this is why this, this, this just puts baseball in a different world for me because it's different from the other drafts. And that's why I think um, the sport itself, it's just different, which, which is why I love it. And even reverting to your comments about five minutes ago, Jacob, it's not about the actual game for me in terms of if you think it's boring or not, uh, in terms of me being frustrated with this deal. It's just the fact that, you know, this is, this is America's national pastime, and it's one of the best sports to watch when your team's in there. They're on every night, but of course, it's also one of the worst sports to watch when your team's horrible. And horrible, I mean, you know, I hate to name call, but Orioles and Tigers fans for the past couple of years, every <laughs> single day, you know, winning 40 games max and losing over 100. For me, it, it just puts baseball in a different uh, scenario for me. It's not about the game. It's just about what's happening and, you know, the impact that this downfall can have with these tensions. But anyways, back on topic, um, it, it'll be interesting to see how they, they draft this. Um, you know, we, we know they love pitching, but, you know, there's a lot of good names up here. So regardless, based off the research I've done, uh, any of these players that I have have in my top five, I think any of us would accept just because, again, the Jays are picking. Uh, they have a, a very high selection this year. So, you know, it, hopefully there's there's a good chance that hopefully one of these picks work out. And even based off the past couple of years, hopefully we see them uh, in the next couple of years. And we know the impact even a shortened season has for the development of these players. Chris Rowley, who was on the show last week, even said it of how difficult it is for the loss of their development with this, uh, with the season cut short and for minor leaguers, likely no season at all. So um, regardless if this works out, if we look five years down the road and look back at this draft, there's absolutely no criticism towards uh, Mark Shapiro, Ross Atkins and Shane Farrell, because, you know, you got to give them credit for trying as well for the other 29 teams who are pretty much going in semi-blind, like I said a few minutes ago. So all the best to them. Um, it'll be something to look forward to. I've never watched the, the draft live in my life, but I'm going to do it. I, I am destined to do it, especially since the Jays are picking high. You don't have to wait that long. So uh, I'm excited. Yeah, and there's only five rounds, so it's easy to keep track of because normally normally I like watch the first night and then I just kind of get lost in it because <laughs> there's so many rounds after that, of course, normally being 40 rounds, and it's like – like the first few rounds, like of course the teams take a lot of times with their decisions, but once you get past like five, it's just like go go go. So yeah, it'll be a lot easier to watch this year, and I'm really excited for it. But just to you know piggyback on the the thing about players being totally flaky and not really knowing what to choose, the Blue Jays took Nate Pearson 28th overall in the first round of the 2017 draft out of junior college, and um, they only had that pick, I believe, because. They extended the qualifying offer to Edwin Encarnacion. He didn't take it, and then he signed with, of course, a different team. So I think that's the only reason they had that pick. But, again, like it's just a total crapshoot. And Bo Bichette, 
a guy a lot of people were saying, no, he doesn't have the swing. His swing and his hitting talents won't translate to the majors. It'll never work in professional baseball. The Blue Jays took him in the second round in 2016, and lo and behold, he's in the majors. He is probably going to be a perennial all-star. A lot of people really love him, and of course, he was fantastic in about 200 at-bats last season. So it's just a total crapshoot. I honestly, I you can't be upset with any team, regardless of how they draft, especially in the conditions that we're in now. Not having the opportunity to scout a lot of players over the last few months. Although I should mention, um, a lot of teams and a lot of scouts have already done a lot of work to scout these players. You scout them, you know, from summers beforehand. So a lot of these players they already had information on, um, and there's concern among scouts that next year will actually be a problem scouting-wise because there's probably not going to be a lot of seasons. A lot of universities, a lot of high schools might end their baseball programs entirely. So there's concerns among scouts that next year is actually going to be the big problem um, in terms of having the information and the scouting information that you need to be able to make knowledgeable draft choices. But it's definitely an interesting conversation, and I'm excited to watch that Wednesday at 7 p.m. It's on MLB Network. It's also on ESPN in the States, so that should be a very exciting night for Blue Jay fans. Um, and I guess just a few things to mention before we wrap things up here. Um, minor leaguers, we talked with Chris Rally last week, of course, about it, but the Blue Jays announcing that they've released 29 minor leaguers. Um, a lot of the names I didn't recognize, the only two names I recognize, Casey Clemens, the son of Roger Clemens, and DJ Daniels. Those are the only two names I recognize. And of course, these aren't going to be names that are household prospects. They're guys who haven't been performing as well, but nonetheless find themselves in a difficult situation now um, with not really being able to sign with another team, not getting paid by their teams, only getting paid $400 a week. It's a difficult situation all around. If you want to hear more about that, you can listen to our podcast. We're going to wrap things up today with just a tiny bit of good news. Um, the Rogers Center being converted to a giant food bank in downtown Toronto. Really nothing to talk about here. Just a little piece of good news to end things off on a positive note, especially after everything that we've been talking about, everything going on in the world today. So with that, uh, I think we'll wrap things up. Thank you to you for listening, and thank you to Bryson and Jacob for joining me on this podcast. As always, you can rate and review our podcast on iTunes, and you can follow Section 138 at Section138Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. I'm alive.